So what you're going to see is sort of formal, sort of informal. Um, you're going to see some slides, but I told Rachel earlier, I said, uh, you know, use the slides as if you were showing a colleague the slides, not necessarily like keynoting a conference. Um, that's it. Sarah, do you have anything else to say? Uh, Did I miss anything? No, no cool. we didn't miss anything. Um, as John said, I'm Sarah Miller. Happy to be here with you all today. Um, this is episode number two of our new WISNET Community Conversations, the show for um, Wednesday, August 26th. We, as John said, figured out how to do this because we need to do something and we want to connect with all of you. And we will be doing at least bi-weekly, hopefully weekly, um, online conversations to connect people and strategies between interesting members of the WISNET community. So um, if you have any suggestions for guests or topics that you'd like us to cover, you can visit our website um, at wisnet.net forward slash community conversations to submit your ideas to us because we are really just making this up as we go along. We always kind of do that, but this is more so than usual. Um, so let's get right into it. Um, our guests today are both from Wisconsin Department of Public Instruction. Rachel Shemlin is the E-Rate and Broadband Education Consultant. And give us a wave, Rachel. And Annette Smith is the Director of Instructional Technology Services. And I'm going to turn it over to both of you to take just a few minutes and tell, it, tell us a bit about what you do. So I'll... Rachel, is it okay if I start? Mm -hmm. Sure. So my name is Annette Smith, and I see some people in this room, um, including John, that I've worked with for 20 plus years in this in this crazy field that has changed dramatically. Um, I started my career, as some of you might know, as a, a school librarian in the military schools overseas, and we had one Apple computer that sat in the corner that was for you know uh, word processing, and then I became a classroom teacher out in California, and we had one computer in the corner that was for word processing and games. It had some of the beginning introduction games that the kids used when, when they had time. And then, then we moved to Wisconsin, and I became a middle, and, and, uh, middle school librarian, and we had labs of computers. And I wanted to teach my kids to program. Like, it was my passion. Let's get kids programming and having computers do what they want them to do. And it was a huge conflict for me because our tech director wanted me to have them word process and play games. And I wanted to have them designing hypercards and learning how to tell the computers what to do. And in the end, what I, I came out of that last job as in the classroom is that I needed to be a tech director. And so I went back to school, I got a PhD, became a tech director. I was tech director in two different school districts and for a small business in Wisconsin. And then recently came to DPI as the instructional technology um, services director, which is I'm the tech director for the Department of Public <laughs> Instruction. And it even it, it looks and feels very similar to being in a district, except it's bigger. So same kind of variety of responsibilities and broad base of, of things that sit on the team, at both internal and external, just like you, you do in a school district. So it's a job that I love that I'm thrilled to be able to do and provide leadership around the state because I still have that same passion. It's about us helping kids to use computers to accomplish what they want to accomplish. 
not to have computers telling kids what to do. So that's a little bit about me. Uh, and Rachel is a part of our team at DPI, the technical services team. Uh, my name is, is Rachel Shumlin. And um, yes, like everyone said, my title is E-Rate and Broadband Education Consultant. Um, I'm really coming to this um, position from having been a classroom teacher and an instructional technology coach to um, being a technology director and working in schools and districts. I um, am most excited about just being invited to um, share today and have a conversation about the topic of digital equity. There are a lot of uh, partners working really hard to address this topic, and it's um, it's fun to talk about and see the progress that we've made um, <clears throat> even before the pandemic, but since the pandemic. So I'm looking forward to the ch to uh, chatting more today about our topic. Rachel, can you help me a little bit? And I, I'm gonna I, I may butcher this a little bit, but you are in a sense. In, in a role very similar to what Ed Snow has been for the last year, but then previously and, and currently uh, Bill Herman, Bob Boker, those types of folks. Mm -hmm. Am I close there? Yeah, so, exactly. So, yeah, so, mm -hmm. I mean, so people, I mean, we've known Bob Boker forever and that kind of stuff. Um, so people that are familiar with those names, um, you can kind of anchor yourself within the DPI around that. So for K-12, a lot of E-rate stuff, a lot of, this, this digital equity thing that, that we'll talk about today. Um, but knowing that that online part of how all of this stuff works, am I correct? Uh, yeah, thank you, John, for um, expanding on that. You know, I think um, with E-rate, we know that we can um, maximize the federal funds available to address digital equity. And that work's been happening for a long time. And I work closely with Bill and Bob and Ed um, today. And then um, we're also, you know, developing tools and processes to help districts, you know, address this digital equity gap that children and families have for accessing the virtual learning. So, um, you yeah. know, before the pandemic, it was it was related to like the homework gap and kids not being able to do homework. And it just got exacerbated even more um, with the health emergency. Indeed. Let's start out um, with just kind of what is digital equity? What, you know, how, how is it that you're going to use these words to find these words? Um, and also like kind of how it plays within maybe the DPI's broader mission of equity. So John, I'm going to start and Rachel sure. just jump, jump in. From a broad perspective, the, the, the mission of our agency is equity so that all students have access to achieve what they want to achieve and learn what they want to learn and need to learn to be successful. And within that, what has happened, what we have been talking about for years, right, is digital equity and making sure that kids had access to, to the internet, to the tools they need to succeed and to high quality resources and teachers. And, and that has been part of our mission and that's why we've had positions like Bob Boker and uh, Bill Herman, who are, who are both, I think, in the room with us, and Rachel, because it is, it is the DPI's mission to make sure every kid has that access. In the last few months, 
it has become it has come to the attention of a broader audience so where we've been trying to bring that forward now everyone's talking about it because the definition of it's it's a digital learning gap you can't learn if you don't have access to the internet if it's not affordable internet so you have to one just have access which some of our rural communities do not and our, our um, native populations do not you have to have affordable and reliable access which we know some of our inner cities do not have some of our rural areas do not have and then you still have to have those quality materials and educators to help guide you through that learning so i guess i didn't mean to say you can't learn but barriers are put in place that prevent you from having the same um, opportunity that your peer group is having. And right now, when we are trying, when we talk about people need to connect, that includes our students, right? They need to connect to an adult who cares and is in a classroom and is helping them learn. They need to connect to their peers, right? That's one of the values of school. And to do that, in a pandemic, you have to have those three things that um, the CCSSO and ISTE and COSIN and, and all of these professional groups consider um, part of that digital equity mission, digital addressing the digital learning gap. I, I, one of the things that I liked really early on, uh, this whole issue got labeled as a homework gap for a long time because that was an easy one. Um, I, I like that we're able to kind of take it to the next level. This, this isn't, this isn't just about homework. Um, this is about learning in, in people and all of that other stuff. Um, and, and those are the parts that matter. It's going to be interesting to see how it develops over the, over the upcoming weeks and months. Um, yeah, that's all I have to say about that, I guess. Did I miss anything, Rachel? Is there something you'd want to add to that? No, I don't think so. Let me let me go ahead and ask both of you. Whoever wants to take this can can go ahead and, and after this we can jump into your slides a little bit. But what do you think it would take to create change on the on the issue of digital equity? That I realize that's, that's aside also, from that's a, a, from that's a pandemic. That's a really big question. We could probably spend the whole hour just talking about that. But just off the top of your head, what do you think is your first reaction to that? I can jump in because I've been saying this to anyone who will listen, it takes all of us. So one of the things that we run into is, well, that's not my problem, WiskNet's taking care of it, or that's not my problem, DPI's taking care of it, or that's not my problem, the telcos are taking care of it, or the PSC is taking care of it, and that's not gonna solve the problem. We all have to own it because we all have a piece in it. And so I think the biggest thing that we can do is own that we have played a part in this, whether it's by redirecting funding away from the issue, by not talking about it or upsetting people, by not funding it through legislation. I mean, there are so many ways we have all taken part, and now is the time to lean into that and say, not anymore. What, are, what am I gonna do about it? What is my organization gonna do about it? Who are we gonna talk to? How are we gonna direct funding towards this? Because there's no one solution so the solution for inner city Milwaukee is not the same 
as for some of our rural areas, which is not the same for some of our reservation communities, which is, right? So there are multiple solutions and all of us can look at what, which one of those or all of those can we take part in or advocate for or push forward to help make this change. Yeah, and building off of, of what you're um, saying, Annette, <clears throat> I think that, um, we're, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this, but knowing specifically which students are not able to connect and then being able to pair that together with um, solutions to get them connected. Even within one district, there's not just one solution to get everybody connected. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that um, coming up. But I think, you know, as far as what it takes to create this change, it's implementing a variety of solutions to address that gap and not trying to um, handle things with just one, one option. Great, thanks. Thanks both of you for that answer. Um, you ready to go into their slides? Yes? Do it. No? Okay. I'm gonna share my screen and hope that this works. So bear with me. <laughs> Can you guys see that? No? No. Yes. There we go. Coming in right now. Okay. Now. <laughs> okay, so we can go All ahead right. and just so, jump to slide two, Sarah. All right. Let me know when you want me to change things because okay. yeah, there we go. All you have to do is say beep. <laughs> All <laughs> right. So, <clears throat> so um, I'm not going to read the slides to you. I want this to be more of a conversation, but you know, just really knowing that in the past, we've been collecting information about which, how many students don't have access. We've had, you know, we know what percent of students don't have access, but now this next piece is really knowing specifically which students so that we can connect them. Uh, we can target the resources that we have and find the most cost-effective solution for that and then maximize our federal funding and our state and local funding to address the gap. So um, moving on, I think that, you know, last year, we know the challenge, right? It was heroic. We just talked about that. Um, the efforts that, um, so you can go on, Sarah. <laughs> the efforts that um, districts were taking to connect their kids, phone calling, Google surveys, trying to collect this data. And we found out that the data that districts had about um, student connections was either inaccurate or incomplete, and it's not for lack of trying. So um, DPI looked at this and developed some tools to help districts moving forward. So moving on to the next slide, um, we have a website, and I'm gonna go ahead and put that in the chat in case you wanna follow along. Um, let me find it. Um, we've developed um, some tools and processes to help make this um, this collection of um, student connections easier for our leaders in our districts. And so, um, the and Annette, do you want to share a little bit about how these common data points were, these common questions were identified, and then I can share what options districts have for that? Sure. <laughs> okay. Sure. So, I I hope you've heard that 
we, our team at DPI has a passion for this and that we want all of our kids connected. And Kurt took that passion to the um, CCSSO, the Council of Chiefs State School Officers, and the group of HIMS that meet regularly. And they decided that this shouldn't just be something we're doing state by state, but that as a country, each state should have leadership at the top level and we should be collecting common data so that we have the data to push telcos to communicate our, our message out that is national. So they, um, we all kind of developed some questions that went through several processes. And these are six common questions that all of the chief um, state technology officers or CIOs like Kurt have agreed to. And, and with that, then we were able to work with the student information systems across the country. So Skyward, Infinite Campus, PowerSchool, and others to say, okay, we have common questions. Can you get them in your sys now? And by doing a national effort, we were able to have that happen and to really um, move this to become a, a data point that we will be able to collect nationally and easily, just like we collect um, uh, other data points that go into the data warehouse at DPI and then we, we use um, for reporting, we will now have this information. And there's also an option for districts to use um, a free survey tool that, that DPI has developed with, through Qualtrics. So um, if they don't want to write their own survey to collect this information, some districts already are surveying parents and are building that into something they're already doing. Um, others are using their SIS to, to generate out questions through their annual registration or other surveys. And then uh, the third option is through Qualtrics where we can provide a free survey link so that districts can um, implement the survey and then also analyze their results. And so um, moving on, if you're interested in more information about this survey or how to um, connect and get a free Qualtrics survey, um, when you're on our broadband page on the left side, there's an internet survey tool link that will take you to all of that information. Um, the six, we can go on, the six um, questions, um, like Annette said, have been developed and nationally uh, vetted. Um, so one of the key things for districts to know if they're implementing this through their SIS is that um, they have to make sure they're passing that address data along with the responses using the EDFI API. And that's just a critical piece um, that is a critical piece to make sure that um, it's flowing back and forth into WISE data. So we have some new things that are coming up to help districts. Once this data is in flowing into your WISE, um, there's an equity dashboard. So moving on, um, this is in process. And so this is an example of what the dashboard would look like. And um, districts can use this to analyze um, their data and make purchasing decisions. And then beyond the dashboard, um, we also have the ability um, to map this data. So the 
Education Superhighway, which is now becoming the Digital Bridge K-12, has developed a mapping tool and DPI is collaborating with that. And so we can go on to the next slide. Um, but really uh, what this allows districts to do is see a visual representation of, and that you can filter by um, school or grade device, the type of access. Um, and so that's just giving some more information to districts which is helpful, uh, especially if you want to take this data to your community and talk about it with other community members and stakeholders is having a visual representation of that. And you can even go ahead, Annette, sorry. I was going to say it also really helps when you're talking with your local telco, right? So if you're, your telco, um, Verizon or US Cellular, whoever says, but we cover that area, and now you can say, no, I have data you don't. So what are, how do you how are you going to address that? So it gives you some data points for funding, but also to work with your vendor partners to say you might think that, but we have families telling us it's not working there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so the next page actually overlays the um, telco data with the provider options, so that districts can click through and they can see what um, providers might be able to address individual students. Um, and then this ties into the work with, that we have with the Digital Learning Bridge. Um, before we move into that, I wanted to kind of see and share on the next slide if this is something you're interested in because districts are kind of at all different places with this. Um, the first step would be collecting the data and then feeding it back to DPI and then uh, we will make these maps that will refresh, you know, in almost real time, um, as close to real time as we can um, with your data. So um, that's kind of the process. And I will, in just a few minutes here, be sharing another way that districts can send us their data in addition to through the student information system and the internet survey. Um, an important point is that the Public Service Commission has a broadband expansion grant that vendors can apply for. So um, earlier when we were talking about looking at that, ma that map and visualizing that data, vendors can, internet service providers can um, apply for a broadband expansion grant to expand their service. And school districts can support the internet service providers by providing some detailed information about the needs that they have and how this would address instruction. And so um, we've seen at, at least three um, separate areas that are working, vendors are working on these grants to expand access to students. And then um, additionally, uh, one area of the state is working as a county to kind of address their county board is going to be working together with an internet service provider to, um, and the school districts in the county to address this at a, as a county at a county level. Is there anything more you'd like to add in that? I don't. I'm kind of clicking through because I don't want to be reading a slideshow to everybody. <laughs> I just want to hit on the high points. Sure, I would say with the um, PSC broadband expansion grants, they opened uh, they opened September first, 
And for your telcos, they have to have partners, right? To get the grant, they have to have partners. And this year, the focus is going to be on areas that have no access. So if you have areas in your districts or in your communities that have no access and you call the telco and say, we're willing to partner with you, or we have a business that will partner with you, or we can provide you letters of support, they have to have that to apply. And so sometimes they, they might think, well, nobody will work with us in a, in a phone call saying, hey, we'd work with you on this area, could make all the difference. Mm -hmm. And then other efforts related to this um, are about, with, which is not something you can really capture in a survey, so if we can move on, is the quality of the connection, right? So it's hard to really have solid data about that. So DPI is working together with M-Labs um, to, to create a tool or to have a tool that districts could push out um, as a um, Chrome extension to kind of run in the background on the district devices and collect in real time data about the quality of the connection that students are having. So sometimes we'll hear that um, you know that they are connected but the quality just doesn't address the learning needs that the students have one of the things we put education superhighway here the definition a year ago of what was considered enough and the definition today of what is considered enough they're not the same even at education superhighway last year at this time they're like ah one megabyte you're good Kids can do what they need to do. And now if you go to their most recent blog post and what the FCC is recommending, it's if you want to really do high quality learning, you need to be at five plus. So that we have to be able to work with our um, partners to get that message out there. And if you have three kids in a house, right, all of a sudden that's not enough because they're all doing learning at the exact same time. So again, it's delivering that message of what the need is today, not what the need used to be. Mm -hmm. One of the things I want to add, just kind of a little bit from a technology perspective too, um, we were we were very interested, you know, in in March from a from a networking standpoint about whether or not these services, say Zoom, say Google Meet, say all of that stuff, whether they would be able to withstand whatever comes at them and for from our perspective we sort of assumed that that would be the hardest one like zoom wouldn't be able to keep up what we saw was just the opposite of that um, you know except for this week now now i said except for this week um but we were we were really surprised from a technology standpoint about how well those systems were able to stay up um, that the issue, if you were having issues, was, you know, whatever your your wireless your Wi-Fi connection within your house or your your connection to the internet from your home um, was might get a little sketchy here or there or elsewhere. Um, but for the most part, we've seen a lot of these services, these common services, um, really able to hold it together. I say that till, until yesterday or the day before when it became pretty famous that Zoom went down and. Uh, the first morning that most people were back at school and stuff like that. But um, just giving some people some perspective on a, on a general note, 
um, it's going to be that connection to the home that is the the weakest part in this whole thing as we move forward. The connection to the home and the affordability yeah, of the yeah, connection we, to the home. Yep. Afford- <laughs> And, you know, that segues really well into um, the next few resources that I was hoping to share out, um, you know, for connecting students. We know that that one size doesn't fit all. And um, on the, the next page on that DPI broadband page, we have some um, helpful resources listed. So there's a PSC Internet helpline where families can call and speak to a dedicated staff member about getting connected and options for discounts. Um, There's a Wi-Fi mapping tool that, again, the PSC put together with a variety of people contributing. Um, And so I I don't know, is it up to 600 some (laughs) Wi-Fi, free Wi-Fi areas where families can drive up or connect, students can connect. Um, Let's see. There's also a lifeline tool listed there under connectivity programs, and that's a discounted program where families can apply and get, I think it's up to $10 a month um, reduction on their internet bill. So that's also available on the site. And then something new that uh, we've put together in conjunction with CESA purchasing is called the digital bridge. And so Once you have all this data and you know which students you're trying to connect, the next piece for districts is having a one-stop shop of being able to figure out what what is the best option for each family and how to do that. Um, So let's go ahead to um, slide 15. And I'm gonna paste the link in the chat if you're following along online. Let's see. And, um, oops, it went into the same chat. All right, so um, this is the Digital Bridge website and DPI has partnered with CESA Purchasing to help make like a simple one-stop place for districts to come find discounts on hardware, software, Um, and internet connections for families. So all of those things that districts are looking for right now to address that gap. Um, What's new in addition to this digital bridge being new is the opportunity for districts to send specific data files to us. So if they wanna connect um, students through a wired connection, um, something new is that districts could decide to get permission from the family um, to have something a wired connection installed in the home and through this digital bridge program be able to um, to do that at a discounted price. So what and I would so, add to that, Rachel, is yes. for the first time schools can use some of their ESSER funds, they can use their CARES funds to buy internet. In the past, right, we couldn't do that. There were so many rules and regulations and you still, by the way, can't do that with E-rate funds or with teach funds, but we now have two fund sources where you can purchase hotspots with internet connection for a student's home you can, or for wherever the student lives. 
right? Maybe they don't have a home. Or you can buy a hardwire connection for a family. So that is available in a way it's not been before. So vendors were willing to put together these discounts that are a little bit more than we saw before for schools to be making these purchases, partly because they know they're going to get paid, right? Schools are going to pay them. And they're, they're, they put some really good deals out there. How long is that yeah, program in place? Do you have, do you have a do we have a an indication about how long that's going to be available or how much it's impossible to predict anything anymore? So right now, the way the contracts are written, they're all through the end of the school year, June of 2021, okay. for the broadband. Okay. The hardware and the software have different dates, so keep those separate. Sure. Um, but for the broadband, right now, it's the end of the school year. But I will tell you that Jane, who does the contracts for CESA purchasing, has an amazing ability to get vendors to do things. So if this continues, I would not put it past her to get them to continue these. And to be clear, too, I mean, we're talking a lot about broadband, but uh, there's also the hardware in there. So I think I saw CDW. There are probably other some other vendors in there, too, that are able to do stuff with Chromebooks and stuff. Am I correct? Yep, cool. absolutely. Cool. Yep. Yep. And so um, what's nice is that districts can go here knowing that the um, that the vendors have been vetted and that there's an agreement in place with CISA purchasing for the discounted service. And so, um, and actually that leads right into the, the next link there, which is just showing. So when you're on the digital bridge site and you scroll down on the that main page below the directions about how to get started, you know, there are quick links to take you to the internet service providers that have CISA purchasing contracts for digital bridge, hardware and software. Excellent. And, Great you know, Rachel, just, just share what, what they just are bringing on board with Zoom as an example. Right. So districts reached out um, that they wanted to um, have some opportunity for discounted purchasing of Zoom. And CISA purchasing um, worked really hard uh, with Zoom really closely to secure a contract that now districts can sign on. I think it's $7.50 a user. And so it's huge, huge savings um, thanks to CISA purchasing's negotiating. I have a question or comment even. Uh, this is Michael Melton. Oh, sure. Go ahead. Let's see if I can get my video. Hey, everybody. Hey, hey, uh, so, as far as this district uh, um, services being offered for uh, certain students or whatever, is Charter Communications in there? Because uh, reason being, I've been uh, talking with them. They've got a program they're working on right now that they basically will sell access to the schools or districts. So let's say um, I tell Charter I want 50 accounts. They sell me 50 accounts at half the internet price of, that anybody else gets, which I think is they sell it to the school for 50 bucks a user. And then you can either give it to whoever you want to as far as student or even staff or charge them all the way up to the uh, full price of the 50 bucks or whatever. 
I don't know if that's in your list yet. I haven't gone through your link to see what's in there, but I know that's a program that Charter Communics uh, Spectrum, I guess, Spectrum Communications is working on. Yeah, it's, it's up on the site, Michael, and it is there, and the offer is there. The only thing I'm going to say to you is you should maybe do a little more research on charging for that. Let's talk offline about that piece. Okay. I haven't even um, got fully into it yet. It was just something they were offering. And uh, um, so I thought it might be a good idea, but um, especially for uh, <clears throat> like lower income families and everything, if, if they can get it for 50 bucks a month compared to the almost hundred that they charge regular for everything, I thought that'd probably be a good idea. But yeah, um, agreed. Like I we say, just, I haven't uh, talked to the admin team. We just have some really strict rules in our state about charging for internet and devices and technologies that are needed for learning. Uh, so if you go to the DPI website, there are pretty strict guidelines around that piece. So okay. you, you can buy it for them. And again, it's up on the, though a digital bridge site, but the rules typically prevent districts from charging. Okay. Um, were you uh, touching on, is there a new uh, uh, place that we can actually get funding to pay for this stuff now? Uh, like internet access or devices? So you're a little different, Michael, because you're at one of the state schools. So again, let's talk offline about that as compared to our public uh, and charter schools. Oh, and okay. also our private schools can need to, um, they don't get the ESSER or CARES funds. They have to work with their public schools to get those. So you're just a little bit different, but Rachel and I can work with you. Oh, mm -hmm. okay. All right. Uh, Michael, Thanks. something that might... Um, might help you out is on that digital bridge website um, where you get started. Um, if you are interested in doing that, um, what I would do, and I'm just going to flip to the next slide here, um, is it's a good way to talk about this. Um, we have uh, one more, Sarah. Sorry, I guess I skipped ahead. We have um, the ability to securely send your data to Spectrum Charter because they are one of the digital bridge partners. And so if, uh, Michael, if you wanted to get started and fill out that form, what I would do is send you securely uh, through an FTP site, a data use agreement and a sample student file. And then you would return those to me with your addresses that you're trying to get connected or all the addresses for your students and the data use agreement. And then I, in turn, through DPI, can send that securely to a variety of providers that serve your school. And Spectrum would be one of those. We have um, Astria listed here, Sprint, T-Mobile, and there's a, a plethora of other providers. Um, and I would send that data securely to those providers that are part of this program. And they would scrub the addresses to return an address um, file that would let you know which addresses they could provide service for or do provide service for, who they could provide service for, and who they can't. And then once you have that information, you could circle back to the Digital Bridge site and then um, compare different offers from different providers to come up with the best solution for the kids that need connecting. So that's kind of how that process works, but it all starts at that Digital Bridge website by going to Getting Started and 
us being able to um, send that those data files securely through an FTP site. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, me. Uh, I'll probably at least check into it to see if there. Are, I would say most of our students have some type of connection, but there are a few that um, we've had to supply some hotspots for and that. So. Um, any any type of help we give to any of the families, I'm sure, would be useful. And you can also use this for your teachers, right? So if you have teachers who need help getting connected. Okay, yeah. Uh, actually, we do have a couple that they need hotspots as well. Mm -hmm. All right. I yeah. would just and ask that when you send that data file that you send all the addresses, not a select group of students, if possible, or faculty, because then I don't want to we don't want to have any kind of uh, personally identif identifiable information that could be gleaned from the data file. So it's better to send all of them and then uh, parse through it that way. Okay. All right. Thanks. Chatting in the background with Sarah as we try and produce this thing, you know, I've got my, I'm trying my best shirt on, you know, after after months of like testing good audio and stuff like that. Um, they're, they're jackhammering concrete outside of my office. My desk is literally shaking. And I said, Sarah, can you, can you finish this one off? She said, my cleaning lady's vacuuming right outside my, my office. So, you know, if you hear a little background noise, we don't have dogs or kids or stuff like that. We've, we've normalized for that. But uh, if the audio is shaking, my apologies there. So really that, um, I think, I think that, that was the, um, the slides and the tools and resources that we wanted to share out as far as trying to help um, schools and districts through this process by making things easier and having some one-stop shop places for them to go and find what they need. I think the other thing I'm going to highlight that Rachel has kind of mentioned as an aside is but we have put in place data use agreements. We have put in place secure protocols for sharing of data so that vendors cannot be upselling or contacting families. They've all agreed to these data use agreements or we won't work with them. Zoom, as that license has been developed with CISA purchasing, has agreed to the Student Data Privacy Consortium contract language and Appendix E. So as we're doing this, one of the things we're trying very hard to both focus on and to model is you can't toss out the baby with the bathwater. You have to still make sure that you're keeping your students' information secure, that vendors aren't able to get that information and use it in other ways. And so um, we're putting those pieces in place, and that's another reason we try to ask you to use the digital bridge and to use these pieces that we're building so that we can guarantee that the people you're working with have signed these agreements. Whether we're, we're taking care of it at DPI or CISA Purchase League is making sure that that language is in those contracts. John, I can see your mouth moving, but you're on mute. It had to happen one time. It had to. Thank um, you. It's there my, there's a layer behind a layer here. It's jackhammering. Mm -hmm. It's got me crazy. And now I totally forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> Any other questions from people? 
I can't see the chat right now for whatever reason. Um, but if people want to uh, unmute a microphone or throw something in the chat, uh, feel free to do that. Um, Rachel and Annette, are you finished with your slides? Yes. Okay. Then I can stop sharing and sweating about my screen. <laughs> sure. And then the vacuuming. Very stressful. Outside. Yes, all of it. Thanks. Excellent. So um, I have a couple so, of but, questions. Go, Kika. And, and I'm sure. It, hi, I'm Kika from Wisconet. Um, and uh, I have a couple of questions. I'm not even sure if they're appropriate. Uh, but but I'll, I'll offer it. Um, I think like uh, the uh, aren't they? Uh, the what? They're PG rated. In, in yes. Terms of appropriate. Okay, <laughs> yes. Thank you. Um, wow, it's amazing. You know the the, the number of uh, uh, of initiatives and efforts. You know that just happened so quickly. You know and and became available to the districts. It's it's wonderful. Uh, and, and I just kind of, these questions came through my mind and, and, and I don't know if they're appropriate because this is all coming together and, and there's going to be a lot of learning, you know, along the way that's so going to happen, you know, with a, a, a possibly adjusting some things and adding some things. Uh, so now the PC, uh, the PSC grant for the providers, you know, that they that have access this too is that you know something that uh is there like any oversight you know for for that piece you know as far as you know are the providers really doing something with the money that they're receiving uh not 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 you know not 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 to uh, to imply anything here but uh just just wondering you know who i don't know if it whose role it is you know to to provide this oversight it doesn't sound like it would be something that dpi could do i, I don't know if uh, uh each school perhaps has to do but who who's got that helicopter view right to 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 go back is that the psc yeah, the PSC does that work, and they have the oversight on those grants and, and grantees and mm -hmm. hold them accountable for doing the work that they say they're going to do. Um, and just to be clear, the PSC also has put in place something that's for families, right? So where DPIs have been putting in all these things for schools, the PSC has that number that a family, a, a student can call, and they will try to help them, or they have a discount finder, they have all kinds of things. So um, they have the oversight, and also they have the ability to work directly with families. Mm -hmm. Well, which kind of goes into my next question. <laughs> um, it, I don't think it is, you know, I know that there's that, you know, that, that layer of help, you know, from the PSC, uh, but then it, it juggled my memory. I mean, if, if there is, like, say, come, you know, October, right, and then um, school is full on, and then families start getting problems with, uh, with their connection, um, and, and so, so the, the troubleshooting and the, you know, the things and the measurements of, you know, who are, are they going, do they have enough bandwidth? Is that all going to be done through the provider or would the tech uh, staff in the schools have any, any involvement with, uh, with over, you know, with monitoring that, that connection to, to families? So with the, um, with the, um, when a district decides to put a wired connection into a family's home, they're getting permission from that family to work directly with the vendor for that installation and also for supporting that connection. 
Um, but I know that uh, students often call the school district first and then the school district wants to help facilitate that. So um, I think it will depend on the provider and the kind of connection that the district is um, providing for the family, for the child. I know that in my small local community, it was on the second page of the newspaper. If you're doing virtual instruction, here's who you contacted the district. If you don't have internet, here's who you contact. They had it all just right in our local newspaper. So different, I've talked to a, a larger district that is um, purchasing a third party provider for those technical questions. So they found a third party that has 24 seven tech support that their mm -hmm. families can call and they've advertised that. So again, it's, it goes back to that there is no one solution. And we, yeah. we have had other districts tell us they're not providing any support and we are trying to work with them to say, well, you know, it might be nice if you could try. So it, it's the whole it's the whole spectrum. Um, as I said earlier to John, we can't make anybody do anything, but we can make suggestions. We're still a local control state. Mm -hmm. One of the things that stood out for me on the website too, um, and this is this this is small but important. As you identify those providers, you're providing also individual contacts at those providers. You're not just, oh, here's Charter's 800 number. Um, there's some individuals behind there that that should be able to get things um, through a little bit quicker and easier and understand what's going on. So that if you're kind of holding back because, you know, what kind of act or what kind of support are you going to get from these folks? Um, they're, they're on point. Um, you know, and I know just kind of from an inside industry standpoint, the PSC and the state have been working very closely with all of the providers to figure out what it is that needs to happen and how everybody can work together to address this whole thing. So, And that's a good point, John. As I said, Jane at CESA Purchasing is a master negotiator. And in most of the contracts, there is an agreement from the vendor to provide a specific contact person and layer of support for students yeah. that are, are purchasing these services. Excellent. I'm going to, I'm going to finish up with one last question and, and I, I, one or both of you could probably go on for an hour. Um, we talked in the very beginning about this being a digital learning thing. Um, and, and not just a, a homework app or a technology thing. Uh, but one of the things that's out there too is, is let's pretend that we solved all of the access and stuff like that. What about teaching and learning, professional development? Is there a, is there a brief, brief overview of what the DPI has in store um, for folks to help teachers teach in these types of environments? So Rachel, do you mind if I if I speak to this one just a little bit? Sure, thank you. So we have some grant money that's being used to develop out some resources and some supports for for um, educators to get professional development. The team that is supporting that is the teaching our teaching and learning team at DPI, and you should be there are uh, webinars and videos and opportunities for educators to get training through these grants. And they're very comprehensive. There is a great deal of money being poured into this. The Digital Learning Collaborative, the Wisconsin Digital Learning Collaborative has a, a resources and courses that they are offering out for educators. 
So there's a whole nother, you could do a whole nother hour, John, just yeah. on that piece where we focused in on getting the digital learning gap is all three areas, right? We yeah. focused in on getting kids the access, but there is a whole nother layer that is about them providing resources and supports for educators and schools to get up to speed on the, the best practices in learning around virtual learning. Yeah. We'll definitely be talking with, with you, you folks and some other people in the future about this piece too, because uh, access is one thing. And once we can get past that or get some programs in place, which the DPI has worked tirelessly over this last summer, um, getting in place, you know, there's the more important piece about, about that, the actual learning. So. Mm -hmm. And those, um, those um, trainings and resources related to um, teaching and learning are happening in parallel. So it's not like we're trying to get the connections first and then we'll address that piece. Those things have been um, also been developed, they have been developed previous to this and then, you know, just in hyperspeed with everything happening. So that'd be a great, a great part two. <laughs> Sounds good. For the show. Sounds good. Oh, there'll be a part three and a part four as well. So um, with that, I just want to thank the two of you for being a part of this and coming on board and, and talking about this. Um, the DPI has done a lot of work. Uh, you know, we're close with a number of folks over there. We've been watching as that's gone along. Um, and it's going to take a whole bunch of people, individuals, organizations, communities in order to support the teaching and learning that needs to happen. Um, given the situation we're in, uh, we hope to be there to support folks along the way. Um, and uh, this is just one of the things that we're going to try. There'll be another couple things that Sarah and I will announce over the next week or two about um, how we're approaching things. I'll leave the closing to Sarah here. Yep, it's not fancy. Um, not fancy. I echo John's sentiments. <clears throat> Rachel and Annette, thanks so much for coming on with us today. We're grateful to, that you agreed and that um, all the really great information you shared is really valuable. Um, for everybody else, you can participate live in our upcoming conversations by going to wisnet.net forward slash community conversations. I dropped that link in the chat. Uh, next week, we have... Um, Next week or the week after, we have yeah. Melissa Emler from CISA3. I don't know if you are unfamiliar with her. There's like nobody in the world who knows more about teaching and learning online. She's got um, a really incredible mind. She's the director of innovation down at CISA3. And um, so we're looking forward to that conversation with her. And then the following week, we're going to be picking the brain of Sarah Lipke from CISA10. So um, those are the people we have scheduled coming up. We have a whole list of others in line. So um, if you have, again, I will repeat, if you have ideas for us, whether that's people we should talk to, topics you'd like to see covered, questions you have, um, at that same link there, you can submit a form to me and um, send your feedback, which we appreciate. We need help as we're ringing this. So um, that's all for me, but thank you all for being here and um, we hope to see you next time. Thanks everybody. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.